0: Well, this is part three, the conclusion to a series we've been in called Can't Stand Ya. My name's Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor here of the City Church and, and so pumped you're joining us right now. Let me ask you a, a question and just show of hands, uh, like right there on your couch, right, right where you're at, uh, regardless of who's in the room. How many of you have been annoyed with somebody like over the last month? Just push, put your hands up. Don't elbow the person next to you. Uh, don't elbow your, your brother or sister or spouse, just put a hand up and just say, don't say who it is. You can laugh and smile, but just raise your hand and just acknowledge, just confess, right? You've been annoyed with someone over the last month or so. I'm just guessing you have. Now, let me ask you this question, a little bit more serious, no hands here. How many of you have a relationship that's broken and maybe you would like to see it restored? I don't know about you, but I I think a lot of us have relationships like that. And in this series, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how we deal with people that annoy us or even worse, people that we can't stand. What about people you can't get away from right now? Well, in this series, we are chatting about what the Bible says about how to get along and how to fix broken relationships. And I think if we're honest, we would all say the constant proximity, this constant closeness that we find ourselves in in this season will challenge even the best of relationships, even the the best of marriages. And so this series, I've said this every week, is for me. It's for me and Darby, my wife. It's for our marriage. It's for our relationships and friendships that we find ourselves in too. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm talking to myself. And so in this series, here's what we've said so far. First of all, we said in week 1, we need a prevent defense. And we saw how Paul said we got to make allowance for each other's faults and and the way that we do that is with a prevent defense. In week 2, we talked about an in your face offense. How do we approach people who've offended us? How, how do we do that with what spirit? What does that look like practically? And so we talked about that in week two. Today, in week three, the final week, we're talking about special teams, that third phase of football. And if you're like me, you're missing some sports, you're you're ready for football. And I, I think we've gotten word that some college football, maybe some NFL football is coming back this fall. Don't know what that's going to look like. But the third phase of the football game of a good football team is special teams. Special teams are, are things like the kickoff or kickoff return, uh, punting or punt return, kicking an extra point, kicking a, a field goal. And here's what's interesting about special teams players. You never see them drafted. Like you might see them in the last round of a draft, but those kinds of players like field goal kickers and punters, they, they rarely get drafted. They're usually picked up after the draft is over. Yet these players are critical to winning a football game. They're critical. And oftentimes, field goal kickers are like the hero of the team and the hero of the season or the villain of the season. And they're having to change their address and move and get out of the city because that's how critical special teams are to winning football games. Well, special teams you're going to find today, you're going to see today, are critical to having healthy relationships, to fixing broken relationships. So you might be wondering, where do we find special teams in the Bible? Well, turn with me now to Colossians chapter three. We're gonna be there and then we're gonna spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 18. But if you got our app, now's a great time to open up our app, the City Church Lubbock, or download it in your app store. Follow along with us the verses and the points. Everything we're talking about today is right there in the notes and you can fill in the blank as you go, which is a great way to kind of lean in and engage and participate during this time. Not just kind of sit back Uh, passively and watch what's happening, but lean in during this time Actively participate, and I promise you'll get so much more out of our time together if you will lean in and actively participate and fill in those blanks. And then at the end of the message, you can email yourself those notes so that you can have them uh, to take with you and to keep and save. So let's go uh, to Colossians chapter 3. The verse will be up on your screen right now as well. And here's what Paul says it's a verse we've turned to a lot during this series. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 Make allowance. For each other's faults. And so we saw that in week one and what that means. Now, here's the rest of the verse, though. Here's the second part of the verse. And forgive anyone who offends you. And forgive anyone who offends you. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that's our special teams scheme, if you will. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And now you can see why it's our special teams because this is going to be the hardest message, the hardest content, the hardest truth to hear and to live out of the entire series. So great news. Today's going to be really, really difficult, but forgiveness is our special teams. It's how we heal broken relationships. Now, last week, in Matthew chapter 18, the passage that comes right before the one that we're reading today, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about how to approach someone, how to confront a brother who sins against you, who's hurt you, who's offended you. And we talked about that last week. And at the end, Peter asked this incredible question after that passage that we talked about last week about approaching a brother who sins against you. He asked, he asked the best question, I think a question all of us would ask after last week. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, so this is after the conversation that Jesus has had with his disciples about approaching a brother face to face. We saw that last week who sins against you. Then Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You hear Peter's question there? How often, how, how many times, Lord, how many times am I going to forgive my brother who sins against me? How many times, maybe you're wondering, how many times am I going to forgive my husband, my wife that sinned against me, my my mom, my, my dad, my brother, my sister, my neighbor, my friend? How many times do I need to forgive them, right? I mean, I think that's what a lot of us want to know. How, how, how many times, Lord? How, how much am I supposed to, how, how much can I give? Here, and Jesus answers this question. As many as seven times, Peter asked. So, so, so seven times, surely, Peter giving like this perfect number, seven in the scripture, this, this perfect, complete number, seven times, surely, that's enough, Lord, right? And Jesus answers him and says this in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. So, so not seven times, Peter, but watch this, but 77 times. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, you got to understand a little bit of the background here of what Peter's referring to, like this number of times he's talking about forgiving his brother. You see, the teaching within Judaism is that three times, forgiving a brother three times was enough to show that you had a forgiving spirit. So, So three times. Rabbinic Judaism recognized that repeat offenders may not really be repenting at all. They may just be saying they're sorry and asking forgiveness and then doing the same thing all over again. So so here's what some rabbinic Judaism teaching said. If a man commits a transgression, the first and the second time and the third he's forgiven, but the fourth he's not because he's showing this repeating pattern of sinful and hurtful and destructive behavior. So that's what rabbinic Judaism said. In fact, other rabbis would teach an even less forgiving spirit, like you forgive once, but then if the offender repeats the offense, they're not forgiven because they're showing a pattern of hurtful or destructive behavior. So that's what Peter's referring to here. And so Peter's offer to forgive his brother seven times is more than double the above mentioned teachings from rabbinic judaism It's more than double. So it's comparatively, extremely generous on Peter's behalf to offer up forgiving his brother seven times. But he's thinking like a lot of us, what's the limit here? Like, what, God, what are you expecting from me? What, what's the limit? How, how, how much am I going to forgive, my brother? And here's Jesus' response. Some translations say you forgive 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven. Scholars debate on, on what was actually said here. But here's the meaning. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whether it's 77 or 70 times seven, here's what Jesus is saying. Stop counting. Stop counting counting. Like, stop counting the number of offenses. Stop counting the the greatness of the offense. Stop counting the number of times you've forgiven the person. Stop counting, Jesus would say. Stop counting. Don't, Don't do the math. Stop counting. And here's what's interesting about what we read in Colossians chapter three, Paul's Statement of forgiving anyone who offends you, Jesus' statement of forgiving your brother 77 times, in other words, to, to stop counting. These both are written in command form. Like Paul is writing a command. Jesus is writing a, a command here to forgive our brother and to stop counting. So watch this. And here's the first thing you got to understand about forgiveness forgiveness is a matter of obedience. Or disobedience. And you see those words in all caps, those are the words you can fill in the blank right now in the notes. Forgiveness is a matter of obedience or disobedience. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, how? How is that possible? Like, you don't understand what this person did to me. You don't understand how often they were doing it to me. You don't understand. And I, you would be right. I, I, I don't understand. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know your story. I can relate with some of the hurts, some of the offenses in in, in my life. And this statement that forgiveness is a matter of obedience or disobedience is just as hard for me as it is for you. But it's clear from the scripture That forgiveness is a matter of obedience or disobedience. So let's break down this third phase of the game. Special teams, let's break down forgiveness so that we can get a better understanding and maybe so that we can receive some help to forgive because I know how hard that can be. So let's keep going in Matthew chapter 18. And here's what we got to understand first. We've got to understand the moment of forgiveness We've got to understand the moment of forgiveness. Like what happens in that moment when you are forgiven, when you were forgiven. Let's go. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Jesus continues on with the story and tells this story to Peter and to the disciples after telling them they forgive, they should forgive their brother 70 times seven, 77 times. In other words, stop counting, and here's why, Jesus says: you gotta understand the moment. Of forgiveness, Verse 23, therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, what you have to understand here is the amount owed here is astronomical. It says 10,000 talents. Today, scholars would tell us that's at least billions of dollars, if not hundreds of billions. So the amount here that's owed is impossible to repay. And so in this situation, in this day, in this context, in this time in history, what that meant was slavery. It meant you were sold into slavery, not necessarily to be able to repay the debt because the debt was so large, it would have been impossible to repay. No, slavery was a form of punishment for the debtor. It was a form of punishment. The debt was impossible to repay, so you would be punished for having that kind of debt. And the punishment was slavery. And oftentimes, not just for you, but as we see in this story, but for your wife and your kids, your, your family. And that was the punishment. And so the servant says, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. And the master has pity on the servant because how impossible and misguided the suggestion is to even think about paying it back is insane. The amount here is astronomical. It could never be paid back. But the master releases the servant of the debt. Watch this because he can't stand the thought of his servant and his family, the servant's family, being punished in slavery. And so Jesus sets up this powerful moment, this moment of forgiveness. And this is where forgiveness starts. It starts in you. It starts in me with knowing, first of all, that you owe a debt you cannot pay. You, like not him, not her, Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person who offended you. I'm talking to you. You owe a debt you cannot pay. You can't be good enough to pay it back. There's nothing that you could ever do. The Bible says our righteousness, our good deeds, our our works are like filthy rags to a perfect and holy God. You can't be good enough to be right with God. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. In other words, you can't be right with God by being a good person. You can't pay back this Debt. You've already sinned too many times. You've already broken God's law too many times. It's too egregious. The debt is too large. You can't pay it back. And so the scripture says, because of your sin, you are in slavery to sin and in slavery to the fine, the punishment of sin, which is death. And so Paul would write, you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. You're slaves of your master." Sin and death, that's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. You're going to be tortured in prison for eternity because of your sin as a punishment for your debt that you have to God that you can't pay back. You owe a debt that you cannot pay. But here's the second part of this, that you must understand about forgiveness. And that's that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. You owe a debt you cannot pay, but Jesus, God in the flesh, your master, Paid a debt he did not owe. You see, for God to remain holy and just and righteous, in addition to being loving and merciful and forgiving, in order for him to remain holy and just and righteous, the fine for your sin must be paid. It had to be paid to appease the wrath of God, the just wrath of God for your Sin. The fine had to be paid. For God to be a good and just judge, and that's what the scripture teaches our God is, He's a good judge. He can't let lawbreakers off for their sin, for their crimes. He must punish them for their sin, for their crimes. The debt has to be paid. And the scripture says this that Jesus paid it all. And the words of that old hymn, Jesus paid it all. When you read through the book of Hebrews, it says over and over and over again, that once and for all, Jesus died for your sin in your place. And through his death on the cross, the punishment for sin has been completed. It's done. Jesus took on the wrath of God and satisfied the wrath of God for your sin and my sin through his death on the cross. And so Jesus paid it all. That's why Jesus, before he died, said, it's finished. It's finished. Jesus completed the will of the father, which was to come and to die in your place and my place for my sin. And by his death on the cross, he finished it. He completed the will of God to die in our place for our sin, to make atonement for our sin, to be the sacrifice for our sin, to appease the wrath of God that was meant for you and meant for me. Jesus paid a debt, a sin debt he did not owe. Paul says in second Corinthians five, he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin for us. He took on our sin He paid a debt he did not owe. And when you give your life to Jesus, watch this. Just like Jesus said in verse 27, you are released, you're forgiven of your sin, you're made right with God. The Bible calls it being righteous. And you're righteous, Romans 3 says. That moment that you give your life to Jesus, that moment in a second, you are released, you are forgiven of your sin debt, To God, you are forgiven by faith. You're forgiven by faith, not by works, not by doing better or trying harder. Listen, This culture, this world religion tells us that to be right with God, you've got to do better and try harder. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are convicted of their sin or who want to be right with God. And they think that maybe if they do better and try harder, that they will be acceptable to God, that they will be pleasing to God. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is clear. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus. And at that moment, Romans 3 says, you are made right with God. You're released. You're forgiven by faith. Have you ever had a moment like that before? Like the moment of forgiveness? Have you had a moment like that before? If not, maybe right now is your moment to understand that you have a debt you cannot pay, but Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. Give your life to Jesus that you might be forgiven of your sin, released from the debt that you owe to God. And let Jesus pay your fine for your sin. Give your life to Jesus now, right now. And maybe this could be your moment, your moment of forgiveness when your sin is forgiven once and for all time, past, present, and future. And if that's you, go on our app, fill out our connect form and tell us that you're committing your life to Christ right now. Do it right now. Commit your life to Jesus right now that you might be released, that you might be right with God, forgiven of your sins, that you could know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. That's the moment of forgiveness. And if you've had a moment like that before where you gave your life to Christ and you were released of your sin debt, I just want to remind you of that moment. And here's why. And what we're talking about next, I I want to remind you of that moment because of what comes next. We got to talk about the forgetting of forgiveness. You see, as Jesus continues on in this story, He explains something that happens next for the servant who's been forgiven his debt. And and the way I want to talk about it and the way I want to picture it for you or put it together for you, explain it for you, is to talk about it in terms of the forgetting of forgiveness. Let's go. Verse 28. Let's continue in Matthew chapter 18. Here's what it says. But when that same servant went out that was forgiven of the debt, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like he had done just a minute ago, have patience with me. He even says the same thing, and I will pay it back. And he refused. And had his fellow servant put in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed by what they're watching happen here. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. Let's read that again. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger... His master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also Jesus says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience. And Jesus said, my father's going to do the same thing to you. Like you will be punished for your sin if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Now let's talk about this. Let's let's talk about the forgetting of forgiveness. You see what's owed here, what this fellow servant owes the other servant is approximately $4,000. The servant who had been forgiven of billions of dollars wouldn't forgive an infinitely smaller debt that was owed to him. So here's the point Jesus is making and what you have to understand and believe in order to forgive your brother. Watch this. Here's what you've got to understand. Here's what you've got to believe to forgive your brother from your heart. Here it is. The debt you owed was greater than the debt owed to you. The debt you owed was greater than the debt owed to you. And so that's why Jesus says, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. Stop counting. In fact, don't even worry about starting to count because the debt you owed was greater than the debt that's owed to you. In fact, here's what, what Jesus would say. According to the story, here's a point, another point Jesus is making. Unforgiveness is unfair. Unforgiveness is unfair. We see the other servants upset by what they watch happening, by what they see unfolding here. And then the master tells the servant that he's wicked for not forgiving his friend. He had been forgiven of billions. How could he not forgive his friend who owed him $4,000? Dollars. Now, you might be wondering, how, how is this possible? How is unforgiveness in my heart unfair in the eyes of God? How is the debt that I owed greater than the debt that's owed to me? How is my offense before God greater than the offense that my brother committed against me, that my spouse committed against me? How, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because of who you offended. You offended God. You offended an infinitely holy, infinitely righteous, and infinitely just God. Your sin is infinite because you offended an infinite God. It's astronomical compared to the offense your brother, your spouse, your parent, your friend committed against You, The debt you owed is greater, was greater than the debt owed to you, yet your debt was forgiven. And so Jesus is saying here in these verses that forgiveness always produces forgiveness. Forgiveness always produces forgiveness. Children of God who've been forgiven of an infinite debt, a debt they could not pay, that was paid by someone named Jesus when he did not owe a debt. And someone who's given their life to Jesus, they've experienced that moment of forgiveness. Jesus is saying in this story it's impossible for someone who's experienced forgiveness to not forgive. It's impossible for someone who's experienced mercy and grace to not extend mercy. In grace, in fact, Jesus is so strong about this that He's saying a forgiving spirit, forgiving your brother from your heart, is characteristic of a follower of Jesus. Like only people who don't follow Jesus would harbor unforgiveness in their hearts. And he makes that clear by saying that the person who harbors unforgiveness in their heart shows that they really have never experienced forgiveness to begin with and so are not right with God and will experience the just punishment of their sin. You owed a debt that was greater than the debt owed to you, yet your debt was forgiven. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3 and finish out the verse Because you see, we haven't read the whole thing yet. And here's what it says. Make allowance for each other's faults. We saw that in week one. Forgive anyone who offends you. That's what we're talking about right now. But watch this. Remember. Here's how Paul ends the verse. Remember. The Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Remember. Like, don't forget. Remember. The Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. The servant in the story that Jesus tells must have forgot. Don't forget your forgiveness. You know how when you see an old picture, it takes you right back to that moment like It helps you remember the moment and what you were thinking, what you were feeling and maybe what was even going on that day, the events of that day. Like just looking at a picture can help you remember a moment. Like here's some examples. Here's a picture of Darby and I in ninth grade. This is the first time that uh, we actually dated. We met in seventh grade at Irons Junior High here in Lubbock, Texas. And by ninth grade, we were great friends. Ninth grade, we, we were dating. We were going out. And that was the spring of our ninth grade year, right before summer, we were, we were going out and I'll never forget. We went out for a few months, but because I was so shy, just looking at that picture just reminds me. I was so shy. I wouldn't hold her hand. We talked all the time before we were officially dating, but then we were officially dating. Like we never, we didn't really talk at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hold her hand. Uh, that that summer, probably not a few weeks after that picture, she had one of her best friends call me and break act like it was her and break up with me, like try to impersonate her. I remember that day, like I was mowing my yard. I was outside. My mom brought me this like cordless telephone, not a cell phone, not a cell phone kids, but a cordless telephone. I know I I, just ask your parents what I'm talking about here, but my mom brought me this cordless telephone and I'll never forget Darby's friend acting like it was Darby and breaking up with me. That, that picture reminds me of so many moments between Darby and I in ninth grade. This next picture is Darby and I, our junior year of high school at homecoming together. Now, I know I, I know. I look like a stud. I, I'm sure you can tell why uh, Darby wanted to go to homecoming with me. But, but that picture reminds me of our friendship in high school and that I always liked her when she wasn't really into me. And then she would like me when I wasn't really into her. And it also reminds me that the very next year, my wife and she'll. Kill me for telling you this, but but she won homecoming queen and prom queen our senior year of high school, and so uh, I I married the prom queen and the homecoming queen. I'm I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, I I know I know you're proud of me too, but I'm pretty proud of that. But that picture reminds me of those things. The next picture is a picture from our wedding day, and I remember July 26, 2003. First Baptist Church here in Lubbock, I remember the moments right before I walked out that door, seeing the the people gathered, knowing it was my wedding day, my heart beating out of my chest. I remember standing there as Darby walked down the aisle and my eyes were tearing up and I couldn't believe that I was there on my wedding day and that God had blessed me enough that he was so gracious and so merciful to me, even though I didn't deserve it, to marry the love of my life. Darby. And I'll never forget that day. And that, that picture reminds me of the, the feelings, the emotions of that day. The next picture is a picture of my son, Levi being born when he was a baby, an infant. It reminds me of the day that I became a dad and the, the crazy thoughts that I had running through my mind when my first son was being born and how it was a miracle of God and that I was a dad now and the overwhelming feelings and emotions that, that came with that day. The, the next picture is the day that my son Coben was born. And I'll never forget, you see Coben there in the crib with Levi. And that, that day was special because Levi in that crib, that moment, right then in that picture, realized that he had a brother and he was so excited. He was pointing at Coben and saying, brother, brother. I'll never forget that day. The next picture is a picture of Nixon when she was born. And Nixon, maybe like your child, had a lot of problems after she was born. She had problems with her oxygen levels. And, and so right after she was born, they took her from us. And she was in the NICU for several days and we didn't get to have her and we were having to go in there and see her and then we'd have to go away and not get to be with our newborn daughter. And she was struggling bad. And I'll never forget that day that the nurses came in and said, hey, they wanted Darby to come in and they were gonna take Nixon out of her incubator thing and let Darby hold her cuz they wanted to do a skin to skin contact and they took Nixon out and Darby held our our daughter our newborn daughter and literally as she was holding her skin to skin her oxygen levels began to rise and they got higher and they got higher and they stayed there and we were able to take our daughter home I'll never forget that day and that picture reminds us of that day that my wife held our daughter skin to skin and those oxygen levels began to rise. The next picture is a picture of Darby and I on our 15-year anniversary trip to Cancun, and that was a wild and crazy week. I don't have time to go into all of that, but that, that picture reminds me of that week, of our celebration of 15 years of marriage, The next picture is a picture of the very first gathering of our church, the city church. It was the summer of 2018 and this was some of the, the staff and, and the initial, uh, leaders and people, families that were going to launch this church with us. And I love that picture because I just, I just remember that day, the anticipation, the excitement about what was to come, the, the nervousness, the, the anxiety, the, the fear that I know I was feeling and I'm sure everyone else in that picture was feeling as we were about to launch this church and as we planned together and as we prayed together that day on that porch. It was the very first gathering of our church. And then a month or so later, the next picture, a picture of Brandon and Mark and I with our wives, it was after the service that day that we launched our church, that we planted this new church and hundreds and hundreds of people came and people gave their life to Jesus and, and everything that we had worked for and prayed for and that we were anxious about and fearful for. We saw God do a miracle that day as this new church was born. And we've seen God do amazing things ever since, but but those pictures remind me of the feelings and emotions of those moments. In fact, this week my wife showed me a video of Coben when he was just a year and a half old, and he's playing in the car. And right when I saw the video that she showed me from her Facebook memories, it took me back to that day. And before I ever even knew, just by watching that video, I knew we were at a baseball game that day, and it was a windy day. And sure enough, just a few seconds into the video, the door opens the wind comes flying in the car. Coben sees me. The wind's blowing on him. He's one and a half and he says, daddy, daddy. And I put Levi in the car and Levi had on a baseball uniform. Just watching that video took me back to that moment. And I could remember the details of that day. That's what a picture does. It takes you back. It helps you remember the moment, doesn't it? Well, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to close your eyes right now, like right where you're at, right where you sit and close your eyes. And I want to remind you of some moments Now, you weren't there for these moments. And so I'm going to try to paint this picture for you with your eyes closed, every eye closed. Adults, kids, you may be watching, close your eyes. And I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Jesus, God in the flesh, getting down on his hands and knees with a towel and with a water basin and washing his disciples' feet. In this culture, in this day, that was something that the servants would do, like the the lowest people in the culture would do. And Jesus the King of kings, Lord of lords, he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' dirty, stinky feet. And with your eyes closed, I just want you to picture this. He's washing the disciples' feet and then he gets to Peter. And he washes Peter's feet knowing that in a matter of days, Peter is going to deny him. Peter is going to betray him. And Jesus knows this and he washes his feet anyways. And then he gets to Judas and he knows that Judas has already betrayed him and is going to betray him. And he washes his feet anyways. And then knowing what Judas had already done and knowing what Peter's about to do, picture this eyes closed. Jesus passes out a cup with some wine in it and a bread and they they pass it around. And Jesus offers Peter this bread and this cup and he offers Judas this bread and this cup and knowing what Judas had already done in his betrayal and what Peter was going to do in his betrayal, Jesus offers them the bread, offers them a cup of wine and says, this body or this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. This cup represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. For you, Judas, who's betrayed me. For you, Peter, that's going to betray me. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be shed for you. Days later, Jesus allows himself to be arrested. And again, with your eyes closed, just picture this after Jesus is arrested, they begin to beat him, punch him, kick him. Jesus allows himself because at any moment he could have stopped this. Jesus allows himself to be whipped. so badly that it would tear the skin and the flesh off of his back where you could see the muscle and the bones in his back. It was a bloody mess. And so if you can see it, just picture Jesus being beaten and whipped and then spit on and mocked and then laid down and crucified, nails being driven into his hands, nails being driven into his feet. Can you see it? Can you picture it? The old hymn Behold the man upon the cross goes like this. Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders, ashamed. I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Can you see it? Keep your eyes closed. Can you see it? It was your sin that drove those nails. Look at your savior dying in your place. And now hear him say this Father, forgive them. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Can you see it? Can you hear him saying it? Father, forgive him. Now open your eyes. And hear Paul saying, The Lord forgave you. Remember, the Lord forgave you of your infinite debt. And so you must forgive your brother. You must forgive your spouse. You must forgive that. Parent, you must forgive that friend. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience. And watch this the ability to forgive is found in remembering the greatest act of forgiveness Jesus is forgiving me. The ability to forgive is found in remembering. You can't forget. We've got to remember the greatest act of forgiveness. Jesus forgiving me. It was my sin that put him there. It was my sin that drove those nails into the cross. It was my voice that called out among the scoffers, the mockers. It was my sin. We can't forget our forgiveness. But then finally, to understand forgiveness, we've got to understand the freedom of forgiveness. The freedom of forgiveness. When Jesus talks about the master forgiving the servant of his infinite debt, in verse 27 it says this, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. When you give your life to Jesus, When you're forgiven, you're released, you're set free. There's freedom when you are forgiven. There's freedom when you're forgiven. Your position changes from being under the wrath of God, from being an enemy of God, Romans 5 says, to being friends with God, to being right with God, to being holy and righteous and spotless. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. There's freedom. When you are forgiven your release but not only that watch this secondly there is freedom when you forgive there's freedom when you forgive Lewis Smead's author and theologian said this to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was you to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover the prisoner was you. There's freedom when you forgive. And here's what that means. Here's what this releasing looks like. It means that this hurt, this offense no longer controls you. This person no longer controls you. It may it may affect you, but it doesn't control you. Meaning it doesn't dominate your day. You're you're no longer a prisoner of it. You're no longer a victim of that hurt, of that offense. And you can actually pray for and want what's best for that person. That's what that's what it looks like to be released, to be free when you forgive. But here's what it doesn't mean. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there's going to be this ongoing close relationship. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be healthy boundaries put in place. It doesn't mean that there's going to be the restoration of trust. All those things could be the case, but forgiveness doesn't mean that all those things are just back to the way they were. Forgiveness doesn't mean trust. It doesn't mean that there's a relationship there. No, forgiveness is something that happens in you. That sets you free. And so here's my challenge for you today. Here's our, our big idea. It's, this, it's that forgiven people forgive people. And that's what Jesus has shown us today through his word. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiveness starts in you, not with the person that offended you. It starts in you. And I can prove that to you because forgiveness started with God, like between you and God, like your broken relationship with God, with your sin debt before God. The Bible says you were enemies with God. You were gonna experience the wrath of God for all eternity for your sin. But Romans 5a says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the first step. Forgiveness started with God. It didn't start with you and me. Forgiveness started with God. God took the first step to heal mankind's broken relationship with him. And the same thing is true for you and your broken relationships. Forgiveness starts in you because forgiven people forgive people. And because God, watch this, couldn't stand your sin. He couldn't stand your sin, but he forgave you anyway. God couldn't stand your sin, but forgave you us to forgive our brother from our heart doesn't mean that what happened was okay. But what it does mean that because God forgave you, you must forgive them. So let's pray and ask for God's help to do that. Let's pray and ask God to help us remember that the Lord forgave us an infinite debt so that we could forgive our brother who sinned against us. God, I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would overwhelm us, God, with your mercy, with your love, with your grace. God, overwhelm us with forgiveness. Let us remember, God, right now, the moment of forgiveness, that moment that we were forgiven, that we were released from the sin debt that we could not pay. That moment that we were overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of God that Jesus would pay a debt he did not owe. God, overwhelm us with that grace and mercy. And God, let us see, God, even right now, let us remember what Jesus went through for us to pay our fine for sin. And as he did it, he was saying in his heart, forgive them as we were sinning, as we were nailing him to the cross, as my sin nailed him to the cross. He was crying out, Father, forgive them. God, give us that kind of heart. We can't do it without you. We can't do it without your help. We're crying out to you. We're praying right now saying we, we need you, God. We need your help to do this. And so God, by the power of your spirit, let forgiveness start in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name.